I'm delighted to welcome you to our Bible study here on Search for Truth. I'm here with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. This week we begin a new series of talks called Great Spiritual Movements. Brian brings us Bible teaching and lessons are relevant to all Christians and he looks today at science, origins, atheism and of course what God says in his word, his book, the Bible. So, for our first great spiritual movement, we go to Brian now, and of course, the Bible, and the Spirit moving over the waters. Thanks, John. Famously, in its opening lines, the Bible declares, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light and there was light. We often hear about a president's first 100 days. That's thought to be enough time for an early assessment to be made on his performance thus far. If so, what of the first 10 words of the Bible? Are they not sufficient to settle quite categorically and for all time a biblical Christian's worldview, at least with respect to origins? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Apostle Peter writing much later in the New Testament, in a more sceptical time, presented a back-to-Genesis appeal. He referred to mockers in the last days. He then laid bare the root problem with their wrong view of the world. They misguidedly believed the present was the same as the past, continuing without change. They would doubtless have just as readily maintained that the present was the key to the past. By adopting this perspective, modern sceptics rule out the possibility of any kind of supernatural intervention, simply because they don't see supernatural intervention occurring now, so they reason it also didn't happen in the past. As the Apostle Paul would say, in a different but related context, they are willfully rejecting divine involvement, and they are doing this by rewriting history. Informed by Genesis, and under the Spirit's control, the Apostle Peter affirms what Genesis says, that the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which it was also destroyed, a reference first to creation and then to the great flood of Noah's time. If his opponents were to have locked horns with him, they might have complained Peter was taking altogether too plain a reading of the text of early Genesis. But should it be read in any other way? Bear in mind that it doesn't contain any of the distinguishing features of Hebrew poetry. The late Oxford Hebrew scholar, Professor James Barr, had this to say on the meaning of Genesis. Probably, so far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writers of Genesis 1 through 11 intended to convey to their readers the ideas that, number one, creation took place in a series of six days which were the same as the days of 24 hours we now experience and number two, that the figures contained in the Genesis genealogies provided by simple addition a chronology from the beginning of the world up to later stages in the biblical story, and number three, that Noah's flood was understood to be worldwide and to extinguish all human and animal life except for those in the ark. Perhaps I should repeat that, stating it positively this time. This professor, James Barr of Oxford, said that among all his associates he saw that they all believed 
that the creation of the world was as told by Genesis as occurring in six days. Now, I should explain that he didn't necessarily think that that's what actually happened, but he was saying that that's what the text of the Bible informs us. So this expert's assessment that the text means what it plainly says is perfectly consistent with the Apostle Peter's understanding, emphasising the third point, that of a global world-changing flood. As plainly as that can be read out of Scripture, it can equally plainly be read out from some of the global features of our planet. But it must at once be conceded that any study of our planet's features is also subject to interpretation of the evidence. We of course need to interpret all evidence simply because the evidence we are investigating exists in the present and we are trying to infer things from it about the past. At one extreme end of the spectrum, the atheistic worldview interprets all natural evidence as supporting a continuous natural development without the need to invoke the deity. Supernatural global floods are ridiculed despite three quarters of the world's rocks having been laid down under water and bearing continental scale features. But this atheistic alternative, in attempting to avoid any need for miraculous intervention by the deity, simply requires miracles of a different type. And miracles they undoubtedly still are, for they've got to believe in the virgin birth of the universe. That is, it did the philosophically impossible thing of creating itself all by itself. Personally, I'd sooner believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ our Lord, according to the Bible. What's more, they'd have us believe in a fish with rather peculiar fins, which somehow once upon a time managed to grow into legs so that it could walk out of water. I'd rather choose to accept the reasonable belief that Jesus Christ, as God come in human flesh, walked on water. But more positively, and on the front foot, Professor Edgar Andrews, is Emeritus Professor of Materials at the University of London and an international expert on the science of large molecules. And he takes the first ten words of the Bible as a working hypothesis and claims that when you do that, it leads to six testable predictions. The thing that should not be astounding to us is that modern science indisputably affirms all six of these predictions as being satisfied. Let's look at the predictions of what we might call the God hypothesis, that is, the hypothesis that God created the heavens and the earth. They are, first, that the origin of the material universe should not be able to be explained in purely material terms, and nor can it. For looking back into the past, science arrives at what it calls a singularity, that is a point where the laws of physics break down, as vouched for by the late Professor Stephen Hawking. And so there is no technical explanation for the actual point of origin as such. Secondly, if the God hypothesis is true, there should be a principle of rationality underlying the entire universe. And there is. According to Albert Einstein, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is the fact that it's comprehensible. And thirdly, there is the fact that the hypothesis that God created all things should predict the existence of all laws as being best explained coming from a supernatural lawgiver. 
And yes, this too sits comfortably with a common sense interpretation of the facts. Sir Fred Hoyle once suggested that a super intellect had monkeyed with physics, or at least that that's what it looked like. Fourthly, if the God hypothesis that God created the heavens and the earth is true, one claim that can be tested is the claim that the essence of life is not chemistry, but intelligently organised information. And as Professor Lennox has argued, a printed page of text is chemically identical to one of gobbledygook, that is, one that uses the same characters but having them all shuffled. Mere chemistry cannot distinguish the page that makes sense to us from the one that doesn't. There's obviously a difference, but it's not explained by chemistry alone. And to put it yet another way that's even simpler, a tin of sardines contains all the chemicals for life, but it is non-living, of course. And fifthly, if we put forward the God hypothesis, we should expect that there should be irreducibly complex design features in the universe around us. And research does indeed show that all living things seem to have a minimal complexity requirement. What's more, we cannot reach back to a simple beginning of things. And finally, the sixth testable prediction of the God hypothesis is this, that there was a beginning before which time did not exist. And yes, science absolutely verifies that all things get more disordered with time. And yet because they're not yet totally disordered, this has got to mean that time has had a recent beginning. In other words, if we summarise that, there's no explanation for the singularity, nor for cosmic comprehensibility, and there can be no purely accidental fine-tuning, no basis in chemistry for intelligently organised information, there is simply no simple beginning and no previous deep time. Nobel laureate Dr Arno Penzias has discussed his opinions regarding the philosophical ramifications of a discovery that he famously made and has discussed quite openly. You may remember that Penzias, along with his colleague Robert Wilson, in 1964 detected radio noise of very low energy. After ruling out terrestrial sources, they realised that the noise was cosmic microwave background radiation, apparently a remnant of the creation event. They shared a 1978 Nobel Prize in physics for this discovery. Penzias stated to the New York Times on March the 12th, 1978, he said this, the best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms and the Bible as a whole. In a subsequent radio interview, Penzias concluded by saying that his discovery could bring about an overcoming of the historic mistrust existing between science and religion. So what I want to say in closing is this, there is certainly no need for Bible-believing Christians to be intimidated by the new atheism. We can take the Bible seriously and plainly, beginning at its very first verse.
Our current book, entitled Great Spiritual Movements, contains all the transcripts of the talks in this series. It's available on request, and if you'd like a copy, just write in by post or email. We'd also be very pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today. I'll be giving you the contact details shortly if you have pen and paper to hand, and the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. To obtain the book, simply ask for Great Spiritual Movements, and you can do this by email or by post, as I said, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooden Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. In the Kindle store, type Search for Truth Brian Johnston into the field and you'll find them. Now, apart from the final hymn, that's almost it for today. So many thanks for being with us. It's been a privilege to have your company. And we do appreciate your interest in these Bible studies. Next time, Brian will be looking at how God's Spirit moved the Bible writers. And I hope you'll join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio, and as always, may God richly bless you. Amen.